Welcome to the Bible and Business, where we connect faith to business every day. Today, we're going to learn about cash management practices and why Christian business owners should pay attention to cash management. So to help us understand this topic area, I'm Bill English, and I've asked Melissa Dyke, who is the Vice President of Cash Management and Business Development for Bell Bank here in the Twin Cities, to join us. Melissa assists business owners in several ways such as helping them control cash balances, reconcile accounts, reduce risk to fraud, and streamline their accounts receivables and account payable processes. Melissa, welcome to the Bible and Business. Thanks, Bill. Let's start by just getting a brief overview of what cash management is. Now, I'm going to say that when we work at cash management at Platinum, uh, and we work with small business owners. We look at cash management as calculating their break even and helping them develop a 13 week cash flow forecast. Uh, we find that without these two tools, most small business owners really don't have any idea what their cash position is. Their income statement might show that they have a profit on an accrual basis, but they might actually be burning through cash and be headed towards bankruptcy. I suspect that what we call cash management platinum and what you call cash management at the Bell Bank is probably complementary, but really two very different beasts. So from where you sit, what is cash management? Cash management, the most generic terms and when you're talking to a bank, any bank, is really a set of technology solutions that allow businesses to operate and manage their cash flow without ever having to set foot in a bank branch if they don't want to. You break those down into three buckets, uh, accounts receivable, accounts payable, and then uh, liquidity management. Let's talk, first of all, about the accounts receivable. What do you do with cash management to help a business streamline their accounts receivable? Yeah, so think of it as the dollar flowing into a customer's account. There's various ways that that can be done. So are, is this flowing into their this business owner's customer Collecting account? payments, correct. Collecting payments, okay. Yep. And so that can be done a, a variety of different ways. Okay. Um, commonly check, accepting credit cards is a form of payment, wire transfers in or ACHs in. Now what does ACH stand for? What does that mean? Automated clearinghouse. It's essentially just an electronic way to pay. So is that is that clearinghouse something that I subscribe to and then I can go up and pull a payment down and put it in my bank account? It's something that a bank wouldn't give you the service and ability to send yourself. So your customers that you work with at Platinum, uh-huh. you, they can partner with a bank to set up that service to, to pay their vendors. Oh, I see. So, so the vendor can send the customer an invoice and then the customer pays through the ACH, the automated clearinghouse. Yes. I see. Is that a physical check then that, that gets sent or is it just an electronic transfer of numbers yeah, going over the ethernet? <laughs> yeah. It's an electronic transfer. It's a, it's a standard file format without getting into too much of the boring details uh, that we communicate with the Federal Reserve Bank on uh, to make that magic happen. So why would we care about this? What what are the benefits to the small business owner to use ACH, to use credit cards, that kind of thing for receiving payments mm-hmm. from their customers? So as a business owner, uh, you probably want to make it as easy as possible for your customers to pay you. So you want to have a wide range of, of payments that you can take in and then easily reconcile. So you get the money quicker and it's easier to get it than sending them a paper invoice and getting a paper check back and then having to go through the disgusting necessity of depositing the check. Yeah, potentially. And a lot, you know, some of it's the ease of of your customers at Platinum and then some of it's the ease of making them, you know, allowing them to do business easily with their customers. 
different customers are going to have different ways to make payments. And so some are going to want to do ACH. Some are going to want to pay on their credit card. Maybe they get points or miles mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And some of them are still going to want to send checks. So what do we do with the customers and from your perspective on cash management who still send us checks? Yeah, so there's a couple of different options that we have. And, again, going back to the point of the, the products and services I, w- I would set up is ideally a time saver for your customers. So as an example, remote deposit capture, when you take a paper check in, that means you physically either have to go to the bank or um, it, within the cash management realm, you can have a scanner at your, your customer's location so they can just scan the checks there, saves them a trip to the bank. And then, and then do they just throw the check away after it's scanned and cleared? They usually keep, we recommend keeping it for like seven to 10 days to make sure everything's cleared okay and okay. then shred it. And then um, shred it. Yeah, because there's a, there's a risk management piece to keep in mind too. You don't want, you, you want to protect your customer's data, right? So you don't want their checks to be laying around your office, not in a locked, secured file cabinet or something like that. Yeah, because on those checks are what? There's two important numbers on those mm-hmm. checks. Right. Everything you need to make a fraudulent check outside of the laser printer. Yeah. So we need yeah. to keep those locked locked away. So our ability to reproduce paper is now so good that paperless is actually more secure. Am I understanding that correctly? In my mind, it's a little more secure only because you don't have, you know, your account number and routing number isn't exposed quite as much. And what about international customers? You talk, uh, you know, you and I uh, did some pre-show preparation. You talk about some uh, SWIFT codes. Mm-hmm. What's a SWIFT code and how does that help a company do business internationally? Yeah, so a lot of um, small community banks or middle-sized regional banks don't always have their own SWIFT code. And what that means is essentially just the ability to send a wire, receive a wire directly um, in, from an international vendor. If you don't have your own SWIFT code, what happens is you use an intermediary bank, like United Bankers Bank, just to give you an example. Okay. And so um, if you're dealing with an international uh, customer over overseas, if you're using an intermediary bank, oftentimes there's two different spots where you put those wiring instructions in. You have to include the intermediary bank in, in that wiring instruction, uh-huh. and it tends to confuse international customers or suppliers because they... It's not a common practice overseas. So oftentimes the payment gets lost and there's phone calls and research that needs to be made to try to collect those funds. So for a smaller business who just does an occasional international transaction, I'll call it, mm-hmm. um, is it worth it to them to set up their own SWIFT code or, or, they would, they, or would they yeah. need a certain volume of business here? They wouldn't set up their own SWIFT code. It's something a bank has. Oh, the I bank see. that you're dealing I with see. would have their own SWIFT code. But that, but that customer could use that SWIFT code however seldom or often it is needed. Yeah, uh, think of it as if a bank has their own SWIFT code, the money is much easier. The money will come into the account much easier because there's not an intermediary bank that needs to be used. Got it, got it. Okay, so let's let's that's kind of the receivable side. Let's look at the payable side. So uh, business owners also have to pay vendors, right? And so what are the things that that cash management services from a bank can provide uh, a business owner to help them streamline and lower risk in their mm-hmm. payables? From an industry standard best practice, let's just call it what I what I would say is usually you can if you can look at your payables and say okay, which one of these are going to be able to accept credit cards? Cuz that's going to be the most secure way for a business to pay. 
And it's also going to give them essentially 45 days of free money. So it helps their cash flow going back to what you, what you consider cash management, cash planning, management. Right? <laughs> right? It's going to help their cash flow. Um, if not, and there's a cost to accept credit cards as a form of payment. So depending on the size of your, um, you know, your vendors that you're working with, they might not always want to pay that two to three percent. If that's not the case, maybe you can look to, to make an ACH transaction. It's much more cost effective than a, than writing a check. In addition, it gives you a little bit more insulation against fraud. What I mean by that is whenever you write out a check, your account number, routing number's on there, very easy to make a counterfeit check. We're seeing more and more of that in today's day and age. However, not everybody wants to, you know, not everybody wants to give their account number and routing number to their, um, you know, to their partners to be able to direct deposit into their account. Checks are never going to go away. It's just, it's, it's just the, the times we live in. It's never, a check is never going to probably be eliminated, right? So it's always a good option to have in your back pocket, but I would say maybe as a last resort. Okay. So as we wrap up this segment here, talk to me about purchasing cards. I don't know what a purchasing card is, and how would a business owner use a purchasing card to streamline their payables? Mm-hmm. So purchase. think of a purchasing card as higher volume, right? Purchasing card is if you want to spend, if you're going to spend maybe over a million dollars in spend and you need additional controls on a card, Maybe you have a lot of people out on the field and you want to block certain transactions from going through mm-hmm. and you want to get some expense reimbursement things built into that card program and you want to do all your AP or most of your AP on a card program, a purchasing card is a good option. You get a cashback rebate um, when you do so, but you need to you need to hit certain metrics in order to get that cashback rebate. Okay. If you're a small business and rewards are a good, you know, a high priority to you, purchasing card maybe isn't the direction to go in. There's commercial cards or small business cards that would be available to you depending on what you need from a spending perspective. Um, you know, so I would say maybe just talk to your bank about what, what kind of cards they offer and what your spend needs are. Um, because, they will be able to suit you up with something that's going to fit for your needs. Okay, so a purchasing card is really a credit card with additional, I'm going to say, capabilities and benefits built into the card and into the reporting and tracking of right. how the card is used to help a business owner streamline how they're doing uh, payables back to vendors. Exactly. Okay. And good. if you're not going to get a certain type of spend, you can still have some controls built into other cards and streamline your payables outside of a purchasing card. Great. I like the idea. We are talking with Melissa Dyke, who is the Vice President of Cash Management at Bell Bank here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I'm Bill English with The Bible and Business. We're going to be back in just a few minutes right after this. As a business owner or manager, maybe you've thought... I've got a talented team, but they seem to be confused or underperform. Or maybe you've had high turnover, losing some key team members. Have you taken a good look at yourself, not just your management skills, but also your heart? At BibleAndBusiness.com, Bill English provides a checklist of potential issues and also scriptural points to help you take a step back, reflect on, and to help you get honest with yourself and your team. Check out the article, The Top 10 Things Business Owners Do That Demoralize Their Employees, at BibleAndBusiness.com.
little Bachman Turner Overdrive there for you here at the Bible and Business. That song, believe it or not, was a hit when I was in sixth grade. Am I aging myself? You know, a 57-year-old guy, and I'm still listening to Bachman Turner Overdrive. Taking care of business is what they're doing. Yeah, I, I like that song. That was that was a good song. We're here with Melissa Dyke today, uh, we're t- who's the Vice President of Cash Management and Business Development at Bell Bank here in the Twin Cities. Uh, you're out of the Bloomington office, are you not? Correct. Yeah, and we're talking today about uh, cash management services and why uh, Christian business owners should be concerned with cash management services. In the last segment, we discussed accounts payable and accounts receivable uh, cash management services. I'd like to turn our attention now, Melissa, to uh, industry best practices for liquidity management and fraud solutions. Now, that's kind of a big phrase, liquidity management. So let's let's just talk about what is liquidity management, and then let's dive into some of these management and fraud solutions. Sure. So from a bank's perspective, um, liquidity management is we can set you up with, um, think about an online personal online banking system on steroids. So what that's going to do is allow you to have um, good segregation of duty, checks and balances, a system of trusting but verifying for your employees. So the system allows you to set up users with only the capabilities that they need to do or see uh, to get their job done and nothing nothing more. So every person in the accounting department won't have access to everything online. They can only do and see certain things. Exactly. Yeah, that's most accounting packages are set up that way, um, and I'm glad that, that we have that with the online packages as well. So you say that as your as your business grows, you add modules. What mm-hmm. would they add as they grow? Yeah, so you might just want some information reporting to be able to see the transactions going in and out of your account. Um, but maybe you want to beef up your payable solutions and be able to send a, originate ACH online or originate a wire. Um, we add those modules as you as you um, as you need them. So it's a very a la carte system. On the receivable side, maybe you'd want to be able to deposit checks remotely. Uh, the tool, you know, the online banking platform would allow you to do that. Maybe view some lockbox deposits. So basically, any any product or service that you would subscribe to from a depository or a cash management solution within a bank, a module is added onto that kind of central um, online banking platform. Now, when I hear the word lockbox. In relationship to receivables, I, my mind immediately goes to factoring and somebody is grabbing my payments because they forward, they fronted me the cash for my receivables and it's being sent to a lockbox and they're taking a cut out of every, uh, receivable payment that I get in exchange for giving me the cash up front. That's not what you're talking about here. It is a little bit. Is it but, really? Okay. You know, but it, it, lockbox can be widely used and it doesn't have to be in a factoring scenario. Oh, okay. In a factoring scenario, oftentimes lockbox is required because they can control the receivables. It's part of the factoring arrangement sure. or the asset-based lending agreement that you enter into. Okay. Um, think of lockbox as a way to completely outsource your receivables. So a business, so I have a, um, like a, a customer right now who they collect about 2,000 checks each month. Really? They're acquiring a book of business in Denver, Colorado. Okay. That's going to increase their business by about 50%. So, you know, 3,000 checks are going to come in. Every and month? Every month. And okay. so they have to pay somebody to open up those envelopes, get the deposit ticket ready, and then run them through remote capture. Now, when, they cu- when they're acquiring this book of business in, in Denver... 
that book is saying, hey, how do I know you have the proper controls in place? You're a small company in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I don't know you from Adam, right? Right. Um, Lockbox helps with that because all of the deposits are done in a dual control environment under surveillance. And so it, it, it really, from a risk management perspective, I mean, it's as locked down as you can get. So from a, from a, so I'm a vendor and I'm paying a lockbox. Mm-hmm. What, what's in it for me to pay that? Do I care that it goes to a lockbox versus an address where somebody opens up the envelope and grabs the check? No, I don't think so. Okay. And, and in the lockbox, are there still, there's still people opening up the envelopes and looking at the checks. Yeah. Picture it to be like an offsite teller line. An offsite teller line. Mm-hmm. Okay. In just a, a processing center where they're just running through check deposits like you would see behind a teller line. Boy, that would be a kill me today job if I had to open <laughs> up checks and envelopes for eight hours a day. Right. Right. Really? But, I mean, think of the time savings it, oh, it sure. has on, you know, a business owner. When you, when you look at, sure, there's a cost to lockbox, but when you look at the cost of human capital, it's expensive hourly wage and, and, you know, health benefits and 401k and other fringe benefits that you would offer. Yeah. Um, sometimes it does make sense from a dollars and cents perspective to, to move that offsite. So the lockbox people, they grab the deposit. I'm assuming that they scan the checks and then those get deposited right into your checking account. If mm-hmm. you're the, and we're on the receivable side right now, mm-hmm. those get deposited into your checking account. Your staff never has to touch that. All they have to do is verify that the payment was received. Exactly. And there's different ways that they can do that. I mean, they could get a file being sent to their accounting software. I think you're going to jump into this in a minute. Or they, we can we can image all of those documents that come into the lockbox from a you know check and correspondence perspective so that your um, accounting department has the tools they need to reconcile. I see. Okay, that's very cool. So uh, let's let's first of all let's go ahead and turn to how we integrate these online cash management services with our on-premise accounting system because most mm-hmm. people still do accounting on-premise; they yep. don't do that in the cloud. And then after that, I'd like uh, I'd like us to just talk briefly about holding accounts at different banks and what's the upside and downside in terms of cash management for an owner to have. Uh, multiple accounts at multiple banks. But let's first of all talk about how we integrate with our on-premise accounting system. How does that happen? What does that look like? Uh, is that easy to do or does that take a lot of time for the accounting staff? It's easy to do if you have the right IT resources, right? So okay. um, oftentimes QuickBooks has a standard file format that we can integrate with. Other accounting softwares, as you get specialization in different industries, um, it really depends on what kind of information or file format that that accounting software can ingest. So oftentimes our, our online banking can, can export a various, um, a various range of different file formats. CSV is a very common yes, one, right? Yes. Um, and then it's just a matter of getting that ingested into your accounting software so that you don't have to go and do the manual reconciliation. I see. And the output from the uh, cash management online services, let's say it's CSV format, mm-hmm. uh, uh, is something that your IT person may need to map the columns up to the various fields in your accounting package to yes. get the import correct. Exactly. I see. And if that, you know, if that's not something that you know, people want to do, some people might not want to go to that complete automation and they still want a little bit more control. You'll have all the reports in real time, you know, current day reports, meaning if there's something memo posting to your account, you can see that right away. 
So are you finding that most software vendors of most accounting packages are really beefing up that online piece and they are, they are just giving you ability just to go in and say, download everything in my checking account into my online premise or in my on-premise accounting package. Do you find that that's, or is that still a pain point, uh, for the, for the consolidation or the, synchronization between yeah, the two. I think it's such a mixed bag and there is so many different accounting softwares and modules that the businesses can subscribe to that it's really on a case by case basis that we discuss that. Okay. All right. So let's shift gears then and talk about business owners having multiple accounts at or different accounts at multiple banks. Mm-hmm. What's the upside? What's the downside? Why would they do it? Why should they not do it? Why should they do it? Those kinds of things. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think everybody's unique, right? Right. So (laughs) I think it's just understanding why they decided to do it that way. Um, From my perspective, I I work for a bank. If that's going to make them most comfortable, at the end of the day, we want happy customers. Um, We're not looking to, you know, have a big grab for all their business, right? At the end of the day, we want a happy customer who's going to talk about how awesome Bell Bank is. So if that means that customers are going to have multiple different accounts at, at different banks, then, then so be it. I, I guess a couple of things that I would, would ask is, um, would, you know, is it because they, they want a little bit more control from a relationship perspective, right? They want to have somebody in, in the bullpen pen in case their banker leaves. Maybe there's a way to to make them feel comfortable by introducing them to other members of the staff at a bank, as an example, as one way around that. Um, from an operational efficiency perspective, it can get a little clunky when you're moving um, when you're moving cash between different banks. So, yeah, I would think so, and I would think it would be a time waster to try to develop good relationships with three or four different banks. I just I just don't see the need for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but some people want to just they it's a comfort for them to have yeah, a couple it, of different banking relationships you and, know, and I, that's okay. I did an interim uh, CEO gig recently and the owner had uh money at three different banks. Mm-hmm. And I was allowed to get at one of those banks. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah, so. and sometimes it's maybe about FDIC insurance coverage or something like that. And that's why I really try to seek to understand what the reasoning is for the multiple banks, not in a not in a way that we're trying to get more of the market share, obviously, but just understanding what's making them tick. And if it is FDIC insurance, there's options that they have within, you know, at least our bank that we could talk about to make sure that those funds are are FDIC insured if that's if that's a sticking point for them. So, Melissa, we only have about 30 seconds left. What would be two or three really core elements that business owners should pay attention to when it comes to cash management services? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing is payments fraud. The last fraud and control study that was done, 75% of businesses experienced payments fraud. Wow. Um, so that's three three quarters. Um, the second thing is there's a lot of internal fraud that can happen. And so make sure that you have dual controls in place and you've got your system locked down. The third thing, really quick, is partner with your IT to make sure your network is secure and safe. Okay, so make sure that people can't get in and look at your accounting system. Great advice today. Melissa Dyke, Vice President at Bell Bank in Bloomington, Minnesota. Melissa, thanks for being here. What's the bottom line today? What is the bottom line that we're after? As Christian business owners, we have a stewardship responsibility before the Lord to carefully monitor what goes in and out of our business. Proverbs 27, verses 23 and 24 say, 
Be sure you know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Earlier in Proverbs, it says that the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and they pay the penalty for it. So we need, as Christian business owners, to be paying close attention to our businesses, and when we see danger, we need to take refuge. A lot of business owners trust their accounting people. They trust their controllers, but that doesn't mean that they should be trusted. I was burned by a controller in my own business who cost me over 200000 and this was a guy who led worship on Sunday mornings in his church. So if you're a Christian business owner, your action steps today are to take a look at your internal accounting processes, see if they are sound, and then contact your bank and ask them how you can improve your cash management services. Or if you'd like to talk more about this, you can contact me directly by sending me an email at bill at bibleandbusiness.com. If you want to hear more of my interview with Melissa Dyke, uh, where we talk about uh, some fraud situations and how you can protect your company against fraud, take an online listen to uh, the podcast only at MyFaithRadio.com or at BibleAndBusiness.com. We call this Bible and Business After Hours, and it's something that uh, is additional information that you can only get on the website. won't be broadcast here at MyFaithRadio. So thank you for listening today. I'm Bill English with Bible and Business, connecting faith to business. 